hello and welcome to episode 93 of the 1099 for the week of May 22nd, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a level designer at Fulbright, the creator of Sybil, and probably my most requested guest at this point, Nina Freeman. Nina, how are you doing today? <laughs> Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. No problem at all. Yeah, you're one. Every time I do like a call out tweet where I'm like, who do you want me to talk to? 10% of the people who are responding, like, you should talk to Nina Freeman. And, <laughs> That's and awesome. I'm man of the people. <laughs> yeah, uh, emailed you right away. Uh, so we've never met in person, but because of the nature of your Twitter and how you kind of have this personal style to your game development, I somehow feel like I already know you in a weird way, <laughs> which is maybe how crazy the internet is. Uh, yeah. From a distance, you've always seemed kind of ready and willing to put yourself out there in a really mm -hmm. healthy way. But when did that actually start happening for you as a game designer and even on social media? When did you actually start feeling comfortable being personal? Um, for me, I started out so like back in undergrad, I was an English literature major and I sort of I actually started as a theater major and then switched into English because I wanted to do poetry. Um, so I was kind of interested in like both performance and writing and telling stories because I was like really into theater and writing at the time. Um, and so I got into the poetry stuff and started, you know, going to a lot of readings and stuff in New York city where I lived at the time. Um, and through that and through my professor, Charles North, I discovered like a lot of, um, poets that I really liked from the seventies and eighties specifically yeah. like New York school poets. And a lot of them wrote, um, you know, a wide variety of kinds of poetry, but a lot of it was very personal. So people like Frank O'Hara and Elizabeth Bishop and stuff. Um, I think a lot about Frank O'Hara's book, Lunch Poems, that are all poems he wrote. He worked as like a, he worked at a museum. Um, and when he would take his lunch breaks, he, for a while, he would like write a poem about what he saw out in New York while he was on his lunch break. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of stuff I found to be really interesting, just people writing about their everyday lives. Um, so that's kind of what, when I was like really learning how to write, that's the kind of stuff I was writing. Cause it was what I was reading a lot of. Um, so I guess then when I started making games, I kind of took that practice over into games. So, um, I guess for me, I think about it less as like trying to open up explicitly and more that I'm just really interested in ordinary life stories and really like um, honest characters that, you know, aren't necessarily part of some like grand plot or story, but who are just like normal people. Um, so I think uh, I draw on my own life for a lot of that stuff just because it's easy and I don't have to do as much <laughs> like interviewing and overhead like research stuff. Um, so it's yeah. pretty easy to draw on my own life experiences um, and I had a lot of practice doing that in poetry, but it, it, generally speaking, I'm just like first and foremost interested in just ordinary daily life stories. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and obviously, yeah, like you said, my Twitter gets like kind of personal sometimes, <laughs> uh, which I guess, yeah, I guess I just have developed that aspect of my personality from all the writing stuff that I do yeah. probably. Um, I don't know. It doesn't really phase me because I guess growing up, like I grew up in the early 2000s making like a lot of personal websites and blogs and stuff. So I grew up kind of doing that stuff already. So it's just sort of always been like a part of my life in the way that I use technology to, you know, express myself, I guess, to use like a dramatic term. But, <laughs> you know, that's just like kind of what I grew up doing. So 
I've always just done it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and again, it seems like in a healthy way, in a way that's <laughs> like, you know, I'm like getting stuff out there, like and on Twitter and otherwise. And for you, because you're talking about how you like these personal stories, did you feel when you were in college that there was a void in video games for that? Because, you know, every game is suddenly you're saving the world or suddenly mm-hmm. you are the king of something or the queen of like it's it's always like these high stakes situations and that's not what you do you do mm-hmm. personal stories you do maybe like like an online relationship or something like yeah. that did you kind of as someone who enjoyed playing games see that and say like wait wh- i what if i just want a story about someone you know coming of age story struggling mm-hmm. with understanding certain aspects of yourself is that kind of how your game design aspect of your life started well, in college, in like undergrad, I wasn't actually making games yet. I was just doing the poetry stuff. And then games didn't, I didn't start getting into game development or anything like that until like after I graduated, pretty shortly after. Um, but I mean, prior to that, when I was just like, you know, more of a fan, not making games or even thinking about making games, I uh, I don't know if I really thought about it just because it wasn't the kind of game that was in my sphere. Like I grew up playing a lot of like JRPGs and like, action games and you know just like also like basic like mario i had an n64 blah blah blah. so like i was into pretty mainstream stuff you know prior to this um career that i have suddenly um and so i wasn't thinking too deeply about it but looking back on it i guess my favorite stuff always was like i talk about final fantasy 10 2 a lot because i think it's got a lot of aspects of like storytelling that addresses like daily life stuff and like non-plot relevant stuff so there's a lot of like weird little vignettes in that game um that is not a final fantasy that people reference too often (laughs) yeah i always do um and like i guess for me yeah my favorite games were always really character focused which is i think why i like jrpgs so much because you can really get to know the characters in many of them um so that's kind of what i was always naturally attracted to but then yeah when i started making games it was when i discovered like Gone Home and Kentucky Route Zero and Dysphoria and Cart Life. Those were those games all I discovered all around the same time and were what kind of like pinged the poetry side of my brain where I was like, oh, this is kind of like it's not poetry, but it's sort of got those same like ordinary life stories and themes in them um, and are character focused. So I kind of saw that in those games and was like, oh, maybe I should try doing that too. Cause this, these games like are really interesting to me. And I think I could do that kind of storytelling too. Um, so that, that's kind of where I started. Do you have a favorite Final Fantasy other than Ten Two? <laughs> no, Ten Two is my favorite. <laughs> oh, is, is there anything, is there like a second, is there like a close second or no? Um, I mean, I guess I'd say 10. I mean, I, I kind of think of them as a unit. So when I say yeah. Ten Two, it's kind of like both, but I mean, I played years and years of Final Fantasy online, so I guess that would be the runner-up. <laughs> wow, you're going for Final Fantasies I'd never expect you to go for yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't, I mean, I didn't actually, I haven't even really played very much of the earlier Final Fantasies because I just never had them um, or never had, like, the consoles they were on when they came out and stuff. So I didn't actually, my first Final Fantasy was ten, so I didn't, I wasn't actually into that stuff before then, so I kind of missed yeah. out on a lot of it, I think, in, like, my like early gaming years i guess <laughs> <laughs> so ignore all the others just play eight that, that's the actual one you should totally play Find okay, I yeah i've played some of it i've played some of them well it's mm-hmm. it's it's secretly not so secretly the best one uh yeah. so <laughs> how do you strike the balance between making something really personal 
uh, mm-hmm. like you have in the past, but also making it feel not general, but relatable enough that thousands of people out there who do play it could kind of have that, mm-hmm. oh man, like I've been through that moment because I, I don't think you're trying to make a game for everyone. I, I don't mm-hmm. think like Sybil is a game for everyone in the world because not all these people have had these experiences, but mm-hmm. how do you strike that balance without making it feel like uh, this is my diary versus this is something, again, that everyone can relate to? Yeah, I guess one aspect of it is that like, I don't know, it's complicated for me because in general, like, I don't, I don't really think about it too much. Like, I'm not often going into a project being like, what's my audience for this? <laughs> like, I'm usually like, what game do I want to play? And how can I make that? Which is maybe like a selfish way to make games, but I think a lot of game designers do that. <laughs> um, and I certainly do. So that's usually like my basic instinct. But then beyond that, like, you know, when I'm playtesting it and stuff, I do a lot of playtesting, or I, I try to. Um, and you know, I, I try to ask people, like, ex- for example, when we were making Sybil, I would have them play it and just ask them just to describe who they thought the characters were and how they felt about them after they finished. Um, and because I knew sort of what I was trying to go for with, like, you know, neither of them are perfect. They're, they both made a lot of mistakes, blah, blah, blah. So I had sort of key story points I was trying to get across. And I would play test and see if people were catching on. And if they didn't, you know, I'd add some email or some line of dialogue or something to try and better support that. So a lot of it's playtesting. Um, and also just, I think the approach of, you know, thinking about just like how to write a believable character is what I think yeah. about a lot. Like, and also like, how is this character honest? And like, how are they flawed? And I think when I take that approach, like when I am not shy about just like, making a character that's like kind of a piece of shit people like relate to that really easily even if it's a very different kind of person um so i think yeah i'm less because you know sybil is also for example like very much sort of like a period piece almost where it's like about a really specific point in time with a specific kind of game blah 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 but when i was writing it it was more like about their relationship um and there's sort of like a timelessness about those kinds of conversations so yeah people can draw from that um emily but, is a way yeah. is a similar kind of thing where mm-hmm. um you you again like you can relate to it no matter what but if you yeah. also have that extra layer of being in that time yeah where like in your case where it's kind of like the mmo aspect of that it mm-hmm. really adds something to it is that cathartic for you making a game like that where you're kind of to a certain extent you're reliving something but you're also telling mm-hmm. the story and maybe enjoying kind of going back to that time period yeah I think for me, well, it depends on the game. Like when I was really, really first starting to make games, I think some of the stuff I was making, like Lady Like or Freshman Years and stuff, were more felt more cathartic. Mm-hmm. But for something like Sybil and stuff I've made after that, it's I guess I have a more like analytical personality about that stuff and work really hard, even if it's personal story, to like have critical distance from it, so that you know I'm not really thinking about it as like writing my own story it's like a story about a character and I usually will refer to the character like the Nina character in third person and stuff because I don't really think of it as myself it's more just like I'm drawing on an experience I had to tell a specific story the story is not literal like really to many things in that experience it sort of draws on them pretty heavily though but you know I distilled I tried to distill that experience into more of a story that made sense um, and less of like the jumble of actual like 
things that happen because, you know, relationships are kind of chaotic <laughs> always. <laughs> um, so I tried to take the interesting parts of that out and weave like a story out of that, out of those moments. Um, yeah. So for me, usually, yeah, I'm thinking of it more from like a craft perspective than um, an emotional one. Uh, and I've talked to a couple of people in the past who have done both like major, super big ass AAA games and then mm-hmm. indie games. Um, my actual boss, Corey Davis, had worked on like Spec Ops The Line, but also just did Here They Lie, which is a smaller yeah. team. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, and it's like it's cool to see that different the differentiation. But for you, you've worked on like super personal small games, and then something like Tacoma, which is still mm-hmm. to a certain extent small in scale, but it is more collaborative. There are more people working on that. Yeah. Uh, how different is that for you? Like, what do you have a favorite style of game development where you're like, I really like doing these smaller personal kind of ideas, or is there something really valuable and unique to having the input of all the people in Fulbright when you're making something like Tacoma? Yeah, my so to preface yeah as you mentioned earlier i'm like i'm a level designer on tacoma so what that basically means is that i am helping do stuff like design the layout of the level so like the way the player moves through the space like where does this hallway lead to where does that door lead to etc um and then sort of another layer to that is like what are the interactive elements in this area like where where is the desk and and how does that affect how the room is shaped and how does that room connect to another room in a way that makes sense so that like a person would naturally be using that space, like making a space really believable for people to actually occupy it. So those are like the kinds of things I'm thinking about at work. Um, but obviously I, prior to working at Fulbright, I had just worked on my own personal projects with my friends and never in a studio setting. So coming into Fulbright for me has been, definitely first and foremost just like a learning experience because i mm-hmm. you know the other two level designers are steve my boss and tynan um who they both worked on like bioshock 2 together and stuff and both have like a lot of experience in various yeah on various size games um so i'm learning a lot from them about just like what even is a level design like <laughs> i was doing it on Sybil and didn't even really realize it until i was working at fulbright for example Um, so for me, it is like a really, really big learning experience and it's cool because I just basically get to work on this awesome, cool game while also like learning how to do 3D game development, which I had (laughs) never done before. Um, and also having like, you know, I'm able to have like a lot of creative freedom with the stuff I'm working on too, because it's such a small studio and I've been able to do a lot of different things that, um, I didn't expect to be working on. So yeah, it's cool. And it's, but I don't think I would, com- I don't compare it usually to like my personal work because I still do side projects at Fulbright, like Sybil shipped while I was working at Fulbright. Yeah. Um, and I work, I finished it there um, while while I've been working there. Um, so for me, it's just like, I don't know. I just like want to make games. And if it's a game with Fulbright, that's great. If it's my own personal side project, that's awesome too. I just kind of want to be able to have the resources to make my ideas be real. Um, and I you know, have, I'm always working on like a lot of things at once. Cause I just, I've always kind of been that way. Yeah. So for me, it's not like weird or different to be working on something that's not personal at Fulbright. Um, especially cause like with my recent stuff, I haven't been doing as much personal stuff anymore. Um, it's still like, I still do both, but 
yeah, for me, it's just like, how do I become a better game designer? Well, I have these mentors now that are helping me. So that's like pretty, pretty awesome and lucky. Um, And I don't, for me, it's just like, it's all just, you know, improving at the craft and just learning more about how to make games that are good. Um, And Fulbright helps me do that. And so do the side projects and so do the personal games and, and all that stuff. Um, So yeah, for me, it's all just kind of, it's kind of the stuff I do. Even if you are, you know, even if your business card says level designer on it, uh, because you are in a smaller team like Fulbright, mm-hmm. is there still kind of a collaborative nature to everything? And again, not to go too much into like the work I do, but with Tan Gentlemen, because there's like 12 people, all right? Mm-hmm. Like, and since they all have certain levels of experience, usually people are bouncing ideas off of each other. The art designers maybe are talking about the narrative. The narrative people are talking about maybe how they want the game to look, um, especially when when Tacoma changed, when you guys kind of went a different direction with it, which we'll talk about in a bit, did you, even as a level designer, maybe discuss how, you know, maybe do you think the story should go or did anyone else on the team maybe switch to a different role just to kind of get a second pair of eyes on a different aspect of the game? Do you kind of collaborate and move into different roles as you're going through it? I guess, well, we certainly all have our like pretty unique skill sets. I mean, it, but it's also like I'm trying to think like no one's ever really switched roles like that or has been so fluid that something like that that would happen I don't think um but you know we all it is like you said a small team so people are kind of like working you know in lots of different ways like my coworker Tynan does a lot of more technical design stuff and interfaces with the programmers a lot so like that's something I haven't done as much of just because I've like taken on other things there's just like a lot to do so basically like yeah, we're all just trying to get everything done. Um, and if that involves learning something new, if we have to, like that, that is cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the end, like we, there's like, you were asking about story stuff and whatever, Steve and Carla are like, you know, the leads on all that. Um, but they always like bounce stuff off of us and see what we think, but you know, they're the ones calling all the shots ultimately. Um, but you know, we all kind of like get to have our little, our, our, our feedback in the conversation. And there's definitely conversations about that stuff. And yeah, when we pivoted everything, that was definitely, um, that was like a pretty interesting moment because I hadn't really ever encountered that kind of thing on a project, um, before. Yeah. Because usually it's been like basically just so small that it hasn't, I don't know, it just hasn't come up. Um, but I thought it was really good um, because, you know, we were able to have a thing that we play tested a bunch and came to some really concrete conclusions about what the problems were and were able to address them. Um, and that was, you know, definitely spearheaded by Stephen Carla with all of our support. And we were basically just like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, we're glad, we're glad that we're so agile that we can commit to making a big decision like that and actually pull it off. Um and make the game just that much better for it. So yeah, I wouldn't say like people are like so fluid that they're switching roles around and stuff, but like we're a pretty tight knit studio and like can really get things done, um, you know, in a situation like that, which is, I've learned a lot from it has been really cool to see, you know, how talented everyone is on the team to kind of pull off such a big change. Was when, what was that conversation initially like when you guys decided to kind of take things a different direction? I think I had Steve Gaynor on here like right before that happened. Uh, <laughs> so I never got to really talk about it with him. Did he come in one day and he was like, I th- I don't like where this is going. I think we should shift. Like, was this just something you all kind of had a sinking feeling about? And then suddenly <laughs> I came to the same conclusion. I mean, uh, I've 
definitely had those times with an article, which is not mm-hmm. the same as, a, you know, as when you're developing a long game compared to like when I wrote an article in a couple of days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if I wrote an article and suddenly I sent it to like Kevin Van Orn back at GameSpot and he's like, this is good, but it's just not what I want. We got to take this in an entirely mm-hmm. different direction. There's definitely that sinking feeling, all that work you put into it. And there's a frustration to it. Uh, what was that exactly like? Like, how, how did you have to completely change certain levels? Like, did you have to completely change certain paths? How did that go? Yeah, I I don't know if I can remember, like, the exact conversation, but it was, like, it was basically after we'd sent out some early versions of the game for playtest feedback, and, you know, some of our ideas weren't really getting across, and Steve and Carla, like, basically just brought that up with everyone, and kind of explained what the new direction was that they were thinking about obviously at first you know the the direction that that was in the beginning when we kind of started out fairly fresh wasn't exactly what we ended up with because we kept kind of iterating on on the direction that we started to move in um but you know we knew based on the feedback from that first version that um the stuff we were trying to do wasn't working very well like you know for example this the whole station used to be zero g and a lot of our um a lot of the way the player would move through the space was through these things called surface transfers where they'd jump from one wall to another and that would be like the new floor that they were standing on. Um, And that meant that we had to have really big rooms. Um, But, you know, for the style of game we're making, we really, you know, we need to make spaces feel lived in and filling a cavernous space like that is just not super practical (laughs) Uh, when you're trying to make it feel like, you know, someone really was like hanging out here at some point. So that stuff just didn't feel right to us as one example. Um, So, you know, yeah, we, we got rid of a lot of our early levels and I know I like basically did whole levels like from scratch myself and other people did and stuff. Um, Not like, I mean, that makes it sound really extreme, but, you know, we still had a lot of stuff to work with. So it wasn't like, I wouldn't say that I ever had like a sinking feeling of dread or anything like that. You know, I can't speak for Carla or Steve or, or anyone else, but for me, it was sort of an exciting chance to take what we learned from that initial version and actually like improve upon it, especially because when I started, I was so inexperienced with 3D level design. And then when we were doing when we pivoted like that, I had a lot more experience. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like now I can really like do a way better job <laughs> with like the yeah. levels I'm working on because I just know more now. Um, so for me, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, it definitely puts a lot of pressure on people. Um, but I think the game is good. I can't really, you know, talk about it that much in detail, but I think we made we made some good decisions when we did that. So. Yeah, yeah, I bet nice. looking at I bet looking at some of those old levels, the ones that you ended up kind of yeah. you know, switching up, was kind of like when you look at old articles from years ago, where you're like, mm-hmm. "Man, I would have done this differently. I would have laughed differently." And in this case, you did. You could be like, "Oh, cool, that yeah. was my first draft, and here's this entirely new thing we're doing," which yeah. kind of had to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I haven't like gone and opened any of those old spaces at all. Like in the editor, it would probably be pretty weird to do that at this point. Like I don't even, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, that would be super weird. But yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, I just think with games generally, like with game development, it's really good to be able to iterate like that and just to like if you have a core idea you want to run with, just to be able to like have the confidence to change something pretty drastic to support the interesting part of the game um so i'm glad you know i'm glad i'm at a 
studio that embraces that sort of development because I, I think it's I think it's good um, yeah. and leads to you know more cohesive solid games um, when you can recognize your own ideas that aren't working and try to improve upon them even if it feels very drastic <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you guys handle feedback pretty well but for you personally when you're making you know side projects or mm -hmm. just projects that aren't actually you know at fulbright how do you handle reviews of your games like have you ever mm -hmm. really been super surprised by either a negative or positive reaction by it especially since like you said it's not you know, 1000%, you know, this is what happened in my life, but you're putting a lot of yourself in that. Do you get nervous before like an embargo goes up or before a review comes out? Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, when I'm releasing a game, most of the nerves just come from like, I mean, part of it is like, how will people react to this? But, you know, hopefully I've done enough playtesting at that point to be pretty confident in it. Sometimes not like, with Kimmy, which I released fairly recently, like I didn't have as much time to play test and stuff as I wanted. So I was like, definitely nervous about that. Although that came out like way before. Um, but like, so sometimes you're in that position, which isn't as pleasant, but uh, most, I think the nerves from that are pretty minimal. And most of the nerves are just like, is everything working? Like, <laughs> are people like, did I miss some like terrible bug? Like what's going to happen when we actually make it go live? Like, is the page going to work as I expect it to on Steam? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so most of the release stress is from like pretty like minor backend things and just like logistical stuff. Um, and then once, once it's done, it feels really good because <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, wow, I worked so hard on that thing for so long. And now, I don't really have to worry about that anymore. Like it's just out in the wild, um, which is kind of a privileged thing to feel because, you know, I think for something more on the scale of like a Tacoma, the, um, the upkeep after the game comes out is going to be more intense than what I had to do for Sybil, for example. Um, Cause with my personal stuff, I just kind of put it out. Like I send out a, like emails to some press people and it's just out um so it, it also kind of depends on the scale of like what kind of a release you're making um but for me i've usually had pretty relaxed ones except minus the stress of like the logistical stuff and just the act of releasing a thing is stressful <laughs> is there a negative review that sticks out in your mind that you're somewhat still pissed about at all like is, is there actually something you read where you're like oh like why I, did you ever like it they oh, they didn't get it review, which sounds <laughs> shitty of me even to say, but like I, because I worked on Here They Lie, which is super, man, it can be really like subjective in certain spots, but you still kind of have a main story in mind. Then you'd read a review mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I just want to talk to this person about this yeah. and like yeah, pick their brain on it. Do you have one that sticks out? I guess not, not really. Cause I know that just the nature of the kinds of things I work on, like not everyone's going to like it. And I just, I'm kind of satisfied to know that. Um, so, I mean, I do read all the reviews, good or bad. Like, it's not like, I'm not the type to just, like, not look at any reviews. I know there's people that do that. I think that's probably pretty healthy. <laughs> but I like to know because I think it, it helps me do better next time because I don't really think of any feedback as bad, even if it does seem like someone's just, like, giving, like, a gut reaction that maybe they didn't think very much when they said it, which sometimes can happen on Twitter or something. But usually I'm like, especially if someone took the time to write a review, like they obviously put some time into thinking about it. Um, and so even if I don't, even if I don't, it doesn't make me feel good or anything. I'm still just like, well, that's their opinion. Like, I'll keep it in mind. And maybe there's something I can do next time that will help, you know, my, my kind, the kind of game I'm making 
get across to that type of person better. Um, but I never let that trump me like making doing making games that I want to play. <laughs> and I know that the kind of games that I want to play are very different from what a lot of people want. So yeah, I definitely try to strike a balance between like how do I make a game that is mechanically sound and communicates my ideas clearly while also still doing things that I like. Because, um, you know, I released Kimmy, which is a visual novel, and some people just don't like visual novels. Um, and I'm like, yep, that's people. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but I'm still going to try and, like, it's not like those people are shut off to me, but I'm not going to, like, super, like, I can't, you can't make everyone happy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is it still kind of crazy to you to see, you mentioned, like, all these, you know, uh, you were making games that you wanted to play, and not mm-hmm. everyone wants those kind of games, but when we were probably in high school or something like that, that wasn't really possible. It was always just, like, this certain type of game was coming out, but now that yeah. indie games are so much more prolific, now that, you know, game design tools are so much easier to get your hands on, you can see super personal games that maybe not the world's going to be into, but they're mm-hmm. crazy, and they're cool, and they're fun, and they're unique. Uh, when Gone Home came out, you know, everyone's talking about it's a walking simulator, not a simulator, not a real video game. Um, and since that time, of course, there's still that maybe vocal minority who might say that about Tacoma or might say that about what remains of Edith Finch, but it's getting more and more accepted. Is that kind of amazing and cool to you as a game designer in this time to be able to just try new things kind of at a low risk scale and just see how they do and have fun with it compared to maybe 10 years ago, nothing like that was even possible. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's a good environment to be a game designer, I think, because, you know, people are experimenting like that. And I think when one person does something that is super, super different and inspiring to other people, you can see like other people being influenced by that. And then I want, I want to use the word, then there's like a conversation of all those games. And I don't mean like a literal, like, conversation between the designers but like it's cool to see like you know there's gone home and then there's firewatch and then you know edith finch and stuff and and you know even before that um uh i'm blanking out there's one other i was gonna mention but I'm yeah it's, it's weird that i think i know exactly what you're talking about but I'm blanking <laughs> too. like i know exactly the game yeah i was just like i don't know what's wrong with my brain but anyway so you see you can see aspects of each of those games in the others and i think you know, a lot of, well, something that I find interesting in creative work is just seeing how people are influenced by each other. And I certainly like, I haven't had much time to keep up with mini games right now, but like, I certainly enjoy drawing on a work that other people have made and like things that they've experimented with and just have tried to learn from that by playing other people's games. Um, and I think because a lot of designers feel the, that kind of freedom you're describing to try, you know, stuff that they think is interesting or to be inspired by things that maybe aren't in the genre they're working in, for example, but to try and, you know, use them in their game. I think that that is like a pretty healthy creative environment um, and just makes, it just makes for more interesting games coming out. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a very good thing, um, especially seeing bigger games draw on smaller, more like seeing bigger games draw on like Twine games or something. Yeah. Like, like that's that's kind of interesting not to say like i mean twine games a lot of them are just like personal work that's free and released and it's interesting to see like an a free game like inspiring something larger um so yeah i think that that stuff is really good and it's nice to be part of that 
was it the vanishing of Ethan Carter that we were both thinking of? Is that is maybe? Yeah, maybe. I think I, so. I'm okay. totally blanking out. But I know. Yeah. Now I'm totally in full brain fart mode. I, but yeah, it, it has been cool, like you said, to see maybe smaller games, maybe these quote-unquote walking simulators, these narrative-driven mm-hmm. games. They do influence some AAA. Not to the extreme. We're not going to see Call of Duty suddenly that you're in a mansion and you're opening different drawers and you're finding objects yeah. and spinning them around. But there, it is cool to see that happening to see that change happening i i've talked to some people i think it was greg kasavin who never really plays too many games other than like dota and hearthstone when he's developing yeah. his own <laughs> stuff uh do you kind of have any sort of hard and fast rules on that like do you enjoy and you mentioned kind of seeing other games inspire you do you enjoy playing other games and picking up different things and maybe putting a certain amount of that into what you're working on or is there value to separating yourself from what everyone else is doing so that mm-hmm. your thoughts kind of crystallize into a unique way and you, you, don't, you don't suddenly have Tacoma picking things from Firewatch and picking things from Edith Finch. I think um, for me, I don't think I could ever make anything in a vacuum completely. Like I think maybe when I first, I don't know, even when I first started making games, like I mentioned that like Gone Home and Dysphoria and stuff were all like pretty influenced me a lot early on. So even when I was first starting to make stuff, I was like definitely being influenced in various ways by those games I was playing and by just like what my expectations of what games are at the time. Like it's obviously changed a lot since then. Um, But yeah, I don't think, I don't think I could ever separate myself from that. Um, And even now, like, yeah, I play, I try to play a lot of games. I mean, I play a lot of like, (laughs) lately I've just been playing a lot of like Overwatch and we just played all of Prey (laughs) and I've been playing more like, triple a games that i've played in a while just because there's so many good ones that have come out recently um but you know if i see people really talking up like a small free game or something on twitter i'll try and pick that up too because i don't know i just find that stuff inspiring and i but i also just like you know i'll play overwatch for fun i'm not necessarily who's your overwatch like (laughs) um i i play a bunch I guess I play Mercy and Anna the most, probably. Oh, see, that's that's um, great. Look at you being support. That's such yeah. a thing <laughs> But uh, like, I play that for fun, and like, but I still like probably like you can't help. I think personally, I can't help but be influenced by anything that I play because it's just like now part of like the whole library of stuff in my head that I think about when I think of games. But I can't yeah. say like I'm literally drawing on Overwatch, for example. But I don't know. You play games and learn more about what the medium can do from anything you play i think so i don't do know i'm pretty you, open you, to that stuff have you played anything recently that you were jealous of where you like played through it and you're like god i wish i would have thought of this first <laughs> um um i think probably near oh wow I'm, like torn between near and prey because i mean prey has really good level design and like as a level designer for that kind of like first person 3d game i'm just like oh my god so awesome um (laughs) and for near there's just like i mean i haven't finished it yet or anything so i can't speak to this fully but so far for what i've played um just like the weird stuff that they do with endings and with like the moment where in the second like after the first ending when you're like I don't want to spoil it if you haven't played it. Have you played it? Or... No, I really want to. It's in the top okay, of my yeah, list, I won't spoil I it. Like... But there's like a bunch of experimental stuff that they do that yeah. is like not that are like small moments in the game where I'm just like, wow, that's like 
it's really cool. I wouldn't say I was like jealous of her or anything, but I find that stuff to be like, I'm just like, wow, I wish I like had done something like as cool as that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Just, no, like, I mean, that it's like really even, even like small scale, like on Twitter, sometimes you'll read a tweet, some hot take tweet and you're like, God, yeah. that's really good. I wish I was, I wish I would have thought of that one first. And yeah. the same thing with um writing when I was doing reviews for IGN and GameSpot, I would like, read a take on something which of course that's when it's like it's your own take but i'd read a paragraph and be like oh i wish i would have thought about tackling yeah. <laughs> it in that way first so i assume to a certain extent game developments like that um do you have a favorite personal project that you've worked on like does one stick out as like this is i i set out to do something and i nailed it that's pretty difficult i'm kind of asking you to brag think... about yourself to say what's, <laughs> like what is the hottest shit you've put out yeah i mean i think probably i'm the most proud of sybil but i mean i think the game could have been better in a lot of ways like i was still pretty inexperienced when i made it but it led to a lot of like pretty important things in my life like working at fulbright and stuff and i mean not that i was hired because i made sybil like sybil wasn't done when i started at fulbright but uh steve like mentored me on sybil a bunch before i joined fulbright so i got to like chat with him more because of that and um was able to keep in touch with him because of that which was nice and i got to work with like bennett foddy mentored me on that game so like i just got to learn from a lot of people while i was working on sybil that and i think it really like made me a way better game designer because it was also the first sort of larger scale production that i attempted where i like actually had a team and actually pay people and stuff um so for me, that was probably my biggest accomplishment. Um, but then there's also Kimmy, which came out re- fairly recently that I'm also super proud of because it was my first like super big commission project and probably the most content in a game that I've made at all up until this point. So it was just like even bigger than Sybil. And somehow I managed to coordinate all of it um, and people seem affected by it. So also that one. Um, but yeah, I guess as far as like affecting my life, Sybil probably would be the one. And I don't want you to reveal what you might work on a year from now or anything <laughs> like that. But is there, is there any sort of game design idea that you maybe had like shaking around in your head for a long period of time where you're like, man, I just need like maybe the right people to help me with this. Or maybe I need the right experience that might come from being a level designer on Tacoma where you're mm-hmm. like, I really want to make this style of game. I think this would really work but you just haven't gotten to it yet. Is there any sort of dream game that you want to mm-hmm. make that you think will just take some time to make down the road? Um, well, right now I am working on another commission game for the Manchester International Festival, um, uh-huh. and I can't really talk about it very much, but I'm excited about that game. Um, and um, and that'll be that festival's this summer, so I'll be talking about it more then. Um, but beyond that... Uh, I mean, obviously Tacoma has taught me a lot and I haven't worked on any 3D games outside of Tacoma. Um, So I'm excited to do more of that. And I think immersive sims are really cool and interesting um, in all their different styles, whether it's more of like a Gone Home style or Tacoma style or something like Prey. Um, And I hope I get to work on more 3D games sort of in that tradition because I think it's interesting and I've learned a lot about it recently. So I guess, yeah, I don't have any like specific plans for that or whatever, but that's stuff I'm thinking about for sure. You make me want to play Prey. Like that was kind of off my radar. Like some people are saying like it really fizzles out at the end. I'm not sure yet. Like should should I just go, should I just go download Prey? 
uh, yeah, I I have been telling everyone to play it. I think it's amazing. Okay, I'm adding that in near to my list. Like those are the main two I'm yeah, currently like. Yeah, those are just the top started, two for me. <laughs> I just started Persona Five, and I'm like terrified that it might just consume my life. But I, I maybe yeah. I'll put it on the shelf for a bit and like switch to Prey. Um, Resident Evil Seven is also amazing. That's that's actually my favorite game of the year. Yeah, like, that I, one is I, really good. That one snuck up on me because I don't, I don't, I didn't really after six. I was like, there's no way. Like I, I think I'm done with Resident Evil, but that like, <laughs> except for like the last three hours, which I think says a little bit too much. Like I wish they would have pulled back a bit and not just revealed everything. That game is that and Horizon are the two that are kind of battling in my head for these might be the best games this year. Yeah, Horizon was really fun too. I also played that. I like it's that a good game. year for video games. It's a very yeah. good year for video games. Speaking <laughs> of a good year for video games, uh, when can people expect Tacoma? When, uh, can you announce a hot? Do is there a release date out there already? <laughs> we don't have a release date out there at this point. Do you want to um, make news right now? Uh, I don't really have any new news. Oh, uh, it's sort of just the same that we've been saying, which is at some point this year. Um, and as always, there's the Tacoma underscore game Twitter um, and the Tacoma game website. And that's those are all places. There's like a newsletter and stuff on there that you can sign up for. And those will be the best ways to hear when we do announce a release date. And you personally are hentai PhD on Twitter. Is that correct? That's me. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say that out loud. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nina, thank you so much for doing this again. Oh, Every time you. I ever go on Twitter, people are like, you should really talk to Nina Yay. about video game and game design. I'm like, I got you. We're going to do this eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm super looking forward to actually play Tacoma. Gone Home, I did get too late. Um, but as soon as I played it, I'm like, okay, I get it. Everyone was yeah. right. So I need to definitely like actually jump into Tacoma whenever the release date actually gets revealed. Yeah, please do. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.